Have you ever noticed how we human beings crave order? Now, I know some of us are obsessed with having a place for everything and everything in its place. I probably should say in full disclosure at this point that some of you are like that because I tend to be a bit on the disorganized side of the ledger when left to myself. But nevertheless, most of us gravitate towards having some sort of organization in our lives. We want to bring order out of chaos. Maybe that reflects our being created in the image of the God who supremely brought created order out of the void and formlessness of the earth. We are people who need order. A few weeks ago in this podcast, we talked about the way in which the understanding of Reformed worship is a gathering of God's people in His presence. It's a dialogue between the Creator and His creatures, redeemed in His Son, Jesus Christ. One of the Reformation's pioneers, John Calvin, saw the need for this dialogue to be ordered, to have a structure that would promote the worship of God in an orderly fashion. What he created is sometimes called the Genevan Order, since much of Calvin's ministry was located in that Swiss city of the 16th century. Since our worship order at New Covenant Church bears strong similarities with the Genevan Order, it might be helpful to take a look at that order and discuss the importance of some of its elements. So with that in mind, let's talk for a minute about Calvin's idea of a well-ordered worship service. In general, these are the basic elements that comprise a gathered worship setting. I'll go through the order and then we'll discuss some of the elements in greater detail in subsequent podcasts. First, there's some sort of invocation in the service. Then, a confession of faith, which often includes personal confession of sin. Following that would come congregational singing. Now, in Calvin's day, that singing would certainly be a psalm. In our day, the possibilities would extend beyond the psalms to other forms of hymns or songs. The next element in the service would then be a prayer for illumination of the Word, followed by the scripture reading and an exposition or a sermon on that scripture. After the preaching of the sermon would come a prayer asking God for insight and application of the message just heard. The service would conclude with a benediction as God's people are sent out from gathered worship to live their lives in the everyday. Well, that's a very general outline of the way a service might have been structured in Calvin's Geneva. In his letter to the reader of 1542, Calvin says this, Our Lord did not give the order which we ought to maintain when we gather in his name in order to give people entertainment in gaping and gazing. Rather, he wished that profit would arise for his whole people. True affection for God is no dull or dead thing, but a living movement proceeding from the Holy Spirit by which the heart is directly touched and the understanding enlightened. In other words, Calvin is concerned that God's people enter into worship with engagement and understanding. The things we say and the things we do in worship ought to be more than rote action. They should reflect hearts and minds that are seeking to grasp what God is saying through his word and by his spirit. Next time we visit, by way of this podcast, we'll start with the invocation and we'll think about its function in our worship service. But before we conclude today, 
Just a word about the origins of our worship order. That order doesn't come ex nihilo or out of a vacuum. Take a listen to the way that Justin Martyr describes Christian worship of the first century. These words are from Justin Martyr's first apology, written in A.D. 67. On the day called Sunday, there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, the president, in a discourse, admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. Next, we all rise together and send up prayers. When we cease from our prayer, bread is presented and wine and water. The president, in the same manner, sends up prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people sing out their assent, saying the Amen. A distribution and participation of the elements for which thanks have been given is made to each person, and to those who are not present, they are sent by the deacons. Those who have means and are willing, each according to his own choice, gives what he wills, and what is collected is deposited with the president. He provides for the orphans and widows, those who are in need on account of sickness or some other cause, those who are in bonds, strangers who are sojourning, and, in a word, he becomes the protector of all who are in need. We all make our assembly in common on Sunday, since it is the first day on which God changed the darkness and matter and made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior arose from the dead on the same day. For they crucified him on the day before Saturn's day, and on the day after, which is the day of the sun, he appeared to his apostles and disciples and taught these things which we have offered for your consideration. Those are the words of Justin Martyr in A.D. 67. It's also interesting to see how this early Christian order of service bears similarities to synagogue worship. While there were many elements to the order of worship in the synagogue, a few elements are especially interesting to note. The typical service would begin with some sort of benediction, maybe a little like our invocation. Early in the service, the ancient Jewish Shema would be recited, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that, of course, reminds us of our affirmation of the Apostles, or Nicene Creed, in our services. Later on, scriptures would be read, and then someone from the congregation would present the sermon. Incidentally, this is exactly what happened when Jesus, early in his ministry, read and expounded the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth. You can read about that in Luke 4. The synagogue service would conclude with a benediction. Well, next time, we'll take a look at the importance of the invocation in our worship service. I'm Greg Wheatley, and this has been The Day After Sunday.